my name is Peter Brown, and I am a seeker, somebody who's been um, looking for truth and trying to figure out which direction to go. And um, I know many of you on here, but there might be some some people who are joining for the first time. So I'm just going to give a little bit of my my background here. I um, am a, a several generation Latter Day Saint. Uh, um, born and raised in Utah, attended BYU, and um, uh, left for a little bit of time, came back to Provo, and got married to my wife, who who was in a, a singles ward with me. Uh, both of us served um, LDS missions. Um, mine was in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, and uh, my wife served in Kentucky, Ohio, and Indiana. So, you know, we, we have a background of, of, of teaching the gospel and, and, and working with people to try to help them learn about Jesus Christ. And so about 10 years ago, during the last big financial crisis of 2000, kind of seven, eight, nine, I was feeling a little bit perplexed and a little bit uncertain about the nature of the world and the Lord sort of spurred me on to start reading about prophecy. And so I took some time to, to go into the scriptures. I started with Daniel and, and then Ezekiel and Revelations and moved into Isaiah. And once I got into Isaiah, my brain blew up because for the first time in my life, I was reading it and feeling like I was getting some connection to what Isaiah was really trying to say. And one of the themes that I noticed from Isaiah was there is a not all is well in Zion motif. Whereas before, I, I think I expected that things would kind of sail along and we would have um, Zion, the millennium, just short, just kind of uh, show up at our doorsteps because we were righteous and in the right way and in the right church. And, and so it kind of alarmed me. Um, but I kind of just kind of put it on the shelf and spent some time organizing my thoughts on the end times and ended up writing a book that I never published that was meant just for myself and my family and uh, saved it on a hard drive. And along I went with my life and fast forward about five years later, I had um, some interesting experiences because I was still trying to understand what was going on in the world and spent a lot of time on some forums, trying to learn about the end times as well as awakening to our awful situation. And I was a member of a forum called Elias Freedom Forum. And while I was there, I ran across a, an author who had written a lot of books that dealt with ideas such as the second comforter, and the doctrine of Christ, and his name was Denver Snuffer. So I read his first book, second, the, <clears throat> the Second Comforter, Conversing with the Lord to the Veil, in 2012, and uh, really enjoyed the book. And it really kind of opened up my eyes a little bit more to there's more that we need to understand about the gospel than what we're being given sitting in Sunday school. At the same time, I'm teaching gospel doctrine at church and I'm going through the scriptures and trying to help people understand the scriptures. And so I'm just kind of going along to get along. Uh, meanwhile, I'm noticing there's a lot of chatter around this, this individual, uh, Mr. Snuffer, and he starts a lecture series in 2013. And at the same time he did that, he was um, excommunicated from the LDS church. And so I spent about a year and a half researching what he wrote and arguing with people online about how he was an apostate. So in the meantime, I had an experience after he gave a lecture about Jesus Christ in which my heart was softened and I started to read it with an open mind and considered possibilities that I never would have considered. And what that did was give me the ability to cast off some of my false traditions and look at things in a way that I never would have considered. 
And I will get, I will help everybody understand how this relates to the topic tonight, because this is an important um, thing for us to understand that when we get awakened and we start looking at other possibilities other than what we've been taught and given, the scriptures provide us with some, some helps and some, some, some doctrine that will allow us to discern what is a true and what is a false message. And um, so, you know, me relating the story hopefully will give you some context of, of uh, where we're going to go from there. So, so eventually um, at, at the end of 2013, I had um, an impression from the Lord that when I had learned about the not all as well as not all as well in Zion from the book of Isaiah, that this wasn't just about the people of the church that were not following what the prophets were teaching, but was also about those who claimed to be the shepherds and the leaders of the church. And that was quite alarming for me to have that realization. And so that happened at the tail end of 2013. Um, Fast forward two years later, I'm living in Idaho Falls and um, my my wife and I felt impressed to start meeting with like-minded believers uh, in the Idaho Falls area who were following the uh, the teachings of Denver Snuffer. And so we started doing that. We, we spent about three years doing that. Um, I will say that the entire time that we met, we had a very diverse community of people and we would be considered probably heterodox in our understanding of uh, their movement. Um, we are more impressed with learning about the scriptures and spending time reading and teaching and and disseminating this man's words. You know, I think he's, he's smart. He's a, he's an historian. He, he's very well read and he, and he knows his scriptures very well, but uh, you know, just like anybody else, whether it's uh, Russell M. Nelson or, or Joseph Smith or, or Brigham Young or Denver Snuffer or anybody else that we come across in our journey, um, there are lots of individuals out there online, for example, that would claim that they've had their second comforter and that they have a prophetic calling. Um, I am familiar with and have interacted with about five or six of them. And so sometimes I'm left scratching my head going, well, what are they teaching? And is it true? And are they a true prophet or are they a false prophet or are they a fallen prophet? And so this kind of spurred on um, my studies um, within the last year. And so I met with a group of people about three or four months ago and did a presentation about how to recognize a true prophet and how to also recognize who a a false prophet is. And so this is based on that uh, lesson that I gave a few months ago. And with that, I I will jump into that lesson so that we can get on with the scriptures and understanding how to understand what a true and a false prophet is. So I'm going to start um, with some questions to consider because one of the things that is challenging is when we want to know what the truth is in particular, how does a man get saved? How is that doctrine revealed unto men? And I'm going to propose that the foundational scripture for this can be found in Moroni chapter 7. So if everybody wants to turn with me there, we're going to walk through Moroni chapter 7. Starting verse 1. And now I, Moroni, write a few words of my father, Mormon, which he spake concerning faith, hope, and charity. For after this manner did he speak unto the people as he taught them in the synagogue, which they had built for the place of worship. And now I, Mormon, speak unto you, my beloved brethren, and it is by the grace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, and his holy will, because of the gift of his calling unto me, that I'm permitted to speak unto you at this time. So I'm just going to back up and say that uh, Mormon, this audience that Mormon is speaking to, are people who are followers of Jesus Christ. And put that into context, these are the peaceable followers of Christ, as we will see in verse 3. And so you almost have to kind of have a rudimentary understanding of of Christ and the doctrine of Christ to some extent um, to completely understand this. 
but as we follow through it, um, you'll see how he helps us give some clues and some codes as to how we can discern for ourselves uh, false prophets and true prophets. All right, wherefore, verse three, I would speak unto you that are of the church, that are the peaceable followers of Christ, that have obtained a sufficient hope by which ye enter the rest of the Lord from this time henceforth until you shall rest with him in heaven. For me, that uh, that signals to me that these are individuals who've had their baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost. They have had an experience where they have been given hope that allows them to look forward to being able to enter into the rest of the Lord, which we know as a second comforter. And now, my brethren, I judge that these things, these things of you because of your peaceable walk with the children of men. So that's there's a clue there as well. We have to understand what it is that we produce in our lives. It's one of the sort of secret secret keys to this as we'll get to and talk about at the very end. For I remember the word of God, which saith by their works, ye shall know them. And if their works be good, then they are good also. Verse six, for behold, God hath said, a man being evil cannot do that which is good. For he offereth a gift or prayeth unto God, except he shall do it with real intent. It profiteth him nothing. For behold, it's not counted in him for righteousness. Now, one of the keys to understanding verse 5 and verse 6, in my opinion, is to understand that when we are judging a man for their works, if they be good or if they be evil, that we use the concept of a snapshot in time. And let me tell you an example. So Moses did many good works. Moses parted the Red Sea. Moses brought the plagues upon Egypt. Moses spoke with God face to face. Moses went up on the mountain and talked with the Lord face to face and brought down in the commandments. But then he also used his sealing power incorrectly and struck the rock at Horeb and water flowed and he misused his power. So in that moment, was Moses doing a good work? I would say no. I would say at that point in time, he was doing an evil work because he was not following the Lord his God, which he was reprimanded for. So one of the challenges that we have when we're reading scriptures like this is to remember that we need to take what an individual is saying or teaching or instructing if they are coming forth and producing words which may be considered scripture or if they are giving a message from the Lord. We have the opportunity to judge them on an individual basis and in that moment. Because there really is only one good, and that is Christ. Christ is the only one who is perfect and who is the fountain, as we'll see later on in the scripture. So continuing on. Verse 8, for behold, if a man being evil giveth a gift, he doeth it grudgingly. Wherefore, it is counted unto him the same as if he had retained the gift. Wherefore, he is counted evil before God. And likewise, it's also counted evil unto a man if he shall pray and not with real intent of heart, yet it profiteth him nothing, for God receiveth none such. Wherefore, a man being evil cannot do that which is good, neither will he give a good gift. For behold, a bitter fountain cannot bring forth good water, neither can a good fountain bring forth bitter water. Wherefore, a man being a servant of the devil cannot follow Christ. And if he follow Christ, he cannot be a servant of the devil. And so, again, taking verse 11 and using that in terms of what we just talked about, when it talked about a man being evil and a man doing good things in that moment, the goodness does not come from him, but comes from Jesus Christ. Because Christ is the good fountain. And he is the one that provides for the goodness, that, for anything that we do or say. And that is where that goodness flows. Wherefore, all things which are good cometh of God, and that which is evil cometh of the devil, for the devil is an enemy to God, and fighteth against him continually, and inviteth and enticeth the sin, and do that which is evil continually. And, and so as we look at that, you know, it just helps us understand that, every, again, everything that, that, that we do, that we say, that we 
that a man may call good, whether it's a work that we do or a message that we give, it is God's message, it is God's gift, and he is the one that's providing that, and he is the only one that is the good fountain. Anything that we do on our own or say or teach or preach, if a man looks to us and sees us as good or sees any individual or man as good or worthy or somebody who has a bona fide that gives them the right to say that they are a prophet of God and are to be trusted at all times, we do not understand how good works and how that all of that is good comes from God. It helps us also understand that we cannot put our trust in the arm of flesh, but must also give, we, we but must give our, our obedience and our allegiance to God the Father, who is the one who provides for all things that are good. Verse 14, wherefore, take heed, my beloved brethren, that you do not judge that which is evil to be of God or that which is of good that's what that which is good and of God to be of the devil. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because it's, it's one thing to say, you know, if a man does a good thing, it comes from God. If he does an evil thing, it comes from the devil, but we also need to be able to judge what is good and what is evil. And that can be a little bit tricky. We'll stop there for now. So I'm going to go back to my notes and I'm going to basically suggest that one of the ways in which we can start to understand the concept of prophets is to recognize that prophets deliver messages. And when, and when they deliver messages in that moment, if it is good, it comes from God. And if it is not good, it does not come from God. And so we are given to judge and judge individually in every single case, what is and what is not good. It's up to us to decide. Now, one of the challenges that we have in this world is that men are fallen and do not always have the faith to be able to understand and know for sure what the doctrine of Christ is. And what the Lord has provided is that, oh, I've got to go down to... It's down in this verse 32. Right, we'll start in verse 31. Um, and this is about prophets. Sorry, this is about angels. Angels are those who God sends initially to call prophets into their service so that they can provide the messages that we therefore can receive. So in verse 31, it says, And the office of their ministry is to call men unto repentance and to fulfill and do the work of the covenants of the Father, which he hath made unto the children of men, to prepare the way among the children of men by declaring the word of Christ unto the chosen vessels of the Lord, that they may bear testimony of him. And by doing so, the Lord God prepareth the way that the residue of men may have faith in Christ, that the Holy Ghost may have place in their hearts according to the power thereof, and after this manner, bring it to pass the father of the covenants, which he hath made unto the children of men. So one of the challenges that we deal with when we're coming out of a situation where we have trusted in a man and believe that that man cannot lead us astray and can give us all truth and we don't have to have worry about it or concern ourselves with it as long as we just stay close to him or stick with the, the uh, majority of the brethren, so to speak, is that some people fall prey to the idea that God doesn't call prophets and God doesn't send angels. And that is not true. God does this and it's his will and his role to call his servants, the prophets. And we're going to read about this in a minute in some Old Testament scriptures and, and walk through some of those things and some of those examples. Because not all men have the faith necessary to be able to hear the words of Christ, nor do they always necessarily have the ability to discern the light of Christ or the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so what the Lord does is he prepares angels who minister unto men. Those men can come along and give messages from the Lord that can help guide people into the right direction 
And there's an opportunity there for an individual to try the spirits. And what that essentially means is that when you hear a, a message or a word from somebody who claims to be a prophet of God, you have an opportunity to try that message. And as you try that message, just like we see in Alma 32, you will figure out whether that seed is good or whether it is evil. And it profiteth you nothing. But it takes time and it takes effort. And there's not always an easy shortcut for everybody to do that. But that's the opportunity. That's, that's the way in which the Lord works so that he can provide a stepping stone system for messages to cascade from him down to the least of these, his children. That is the whole point of the, the, the plan of sending prophets and sending angels. Which, in verse 33, says, If you have faith in me, you shall have power to do whatsoever thing is expedient in me. Which to me that indicates that uh, if you if you have enough faith you can actually get the sealing power. But in ver verse thirty four he says, "Repent, all ye ends of the earth, come unto me, be baptized in my name, and have faith in me, that ye may be saved." And this is the words in which God gives to His angel servants that comes unto His prophet servants, and this is the true gospel of Jesus Christ that is given to unto all who have the faith to essentially ascend up and to get an errand from the Lord and, be, and to receive a calling and to get sealed so they can go forth and preach this unto all ends of the earth and give them messages that people can lay hold on. All right. So enough of Moroni 7. It's like one of my power, power chapters. Uh, I can answer lots of things with it. It's one of my favorites. And it helps me to sort of um, get a foundation for how I can judge what is true and what is good. Now I'm going to share with you a, um, a, a graphic that uh, I created um, a couple of years ago that I have found is helpful. And this kind of goes back to what I talked about as far as who is given the ultimate authority to judge, and that is you, because you are the one who has to come before the Savior. He keeps no one at the gate, and you have to be judged for what you have done in this life and whether you have been able to repent and whether you have been able to, to get the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost in order to level up get an error from the Lord, a calling from the Lord, and do something with your life. And so one of the challenges that you have to figure out is how do you define what is good? And again, we talked about how every, every, anything that is good comes through the Savior Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. And again, you know, I'm going to save the, the, the sort of answer till the end as, as far as this goes, because this is, this is kind of the climax of my topic tonight. But what gives us the ability to choose and what is good and what is evil, we can pick from, and this is just an example, I, I, you know, just to kind of give people a construct to work from. So you have prophets, and in this context, these are people that are alive today because they are giving us messages, and we can either read them online, see them in conferences, hear them on Zoom meetings, and we have the opportunity to take notes about what they're preaching, and we, and we, can, we can lay them out, and we get we get the opportunity to try each one of those messages and try to figure out whether they're good or whether they're evil. Scripture, again, scripture is a construct that is around for prophets that have, have died. And those passages have been written down for us to research and look at. There is a lot, I say a lot more trust in scripture in the fact that we've got, we've had men and women over the ages test out lots of scriptural messages and we have the opportunity to use scriptures as a base although one of the challenges that we have with scripture is that 
we have different levels of interpretation, particularly if you're trying to figure out what the original meaning is, or you have, we have denomination upon denomination upon denomination based upon individuals who are trying to figure out what the exact meaning of, of grace is. And it takes a PhD in Greek or Hebrew to sit there and try to determine what that really means. And so that may be an appropriate start to try to figure out what scripture means and if the scripture can really help save us. But in reality, we have to go to the Lord and get what I call a interpretation that's in the bosom of the Lord. In other words, the Lord needs to reveal to us what that scripture means. And the Lord needs to give to us an interpretation of that scripture. And I may be so bold as to say that not all scriptures are necessarily true or right or accurate. Um, an example may be, it doesn't, doesn't never made sense to me that when a couple of young men went and made fun of Elisha the prophet because he was bald that he sicked a couple of she-bears on him and ended up in, 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 you know, essentially killed him because they were just making fun of him being bald. That didn't seem right to me. Maybe it's correct. I don't know. But I think especially a lot of the scriptures in the Old Testament maybe have been mythologized over the years. And so we have to read through them, use the scriptures as a foundation, but we have to get interpretation through the Holy Ghost to understand what it is the Lord needs to teach to us in that scripture. And, and then the, finally, the same thing with, with churches. And so if, if there's doctrines or policies or procedures, we have the opportunity and we have the, the right to be able to judge for ourselves whether that is right and whether that is wrong. And just because uh, revelation was given, well, it's not even revelation, because there was a statement given in 1890 that uh, tried to round out what the meaning of a policy termination was to mean for the entire church, namely that of polygamy, that became the basis for the idea that the prophet can never lead you astray. And so we've now taken this logical fallacy to the, to the point where if you feel good about one thing that one person said in Mormonism, that you can create this entire construct around, um, the Book of Mormon's true, Joseph Smith's a prophet, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true, Brigham Young is true, all of church history is true, up until Russell M. Nelson, who's a true prophet, because, because if one thing is true, then all of it is true. And what this graphic is representing is that's not the way to go. We have the ability and the right to judge what is good and what is evil on every individual thing. And so <clears throat> that's something that's helped me you know, I can send it over to people if they want it at the end of the, the lecture and they can, they can use it if that helps. Um, so back to let me go ahead and pause the share. Stop sharing. Okay. So back to my notes. So there's some, there's some, um, scriptures that I'm going to relay. Um, I have a lot of um, notes here that I'm going to read through. I'm not going to read the entirety of the scripture because there's so much, but I wanted to plow through where God talks about prophets. And almost all the time he talks about prophets, he uses the terms, my servants, the prophets. If you look in scripture and you're trying to figure out the terminology for prophet, you will almost always see the term his servants, the prophets. They often go hand in hand. So in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 25, it talks about God sending his, his servants, the prophets, to the children of Israel so that they can understand what it is they need to do. In Jeremiah 26, verses 1 through 6, the Lord curses those who will not listen to his servants, the prophets. Scripture that we're all very familiar with. Amos chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. God reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. And, and why is it that he does that? Again, we know because the rest of the people don't have necessarily the faith to be able to get the secrets they need to have. And so the Lord uses prophets who do have the faith and reveals to them the secrets. And I would so, go so far as to say that the best secrets and the most important secrets are those that correlate to the doctrine of Christ. 
Some of us are familiar with Numbers, chapter 11, verses 26 through 30, where Moses declares, would that all the people are prophets. And so this gives us the sense that this is not something that the Lord just wants to give one person on the earth at a time. He would love to give all people this gift because that's what it is. It's truly a gift, the gift to be able to have the faith strong enough to be able to fetch a message from an angel of the Lord and eventually from Jesus Christ himself so that you can teach others messages the Lord wants to declare unto the residue of his people. Revelation is chapter 10, verse 7. It talks about how the mysteries are declared through his servants, the prophets. And in Revelation 22, verses 6 through 7, he says that the Lord sends his, he, the Lord gives um, his messages through angels to his servants, the prophets. And in verses 8 through 9, that same chapter Revelations, that talks about there are fellow servants with prophets. So there are the servants and prophets and there's, there's lots of them. And so the idea that we just have one at a time or there's only one, particularly because being a prophet is a gift of the Lord, is something that we can kind of throw away. It's not, it's not something that, um, you know, there's, there's, different, there's other contexts for where there may be important to have one at a time. But in the, ter- in the terminology of being able to understand messages from the Lord, the Lord can send as many prophets as he wishes. Um, Prophets testify of Christ, and we see that in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Prophets are usually rejected in their own lands. Luke 4, verses 20 through 27 tells us that. Typically, a prophet um, preaching in his own country is not typically enjoyed or loved or allowed. It's not until after they've passed on or after there's been some sort of a shakeup in the political or cultural climate that that prophet is accepted. Isaiah was a perfect example. Isaiah got sawn asunder. If he was loved and respected, that would not have happened. But now everybody thinks Isaiah is one of the greatest prophets. Prophets labor alongside the people. John chapter 4, verse 31 through 38. They, not, they, they don't uh, sit in the high seats. They don't necessarily, uh, they, they are not taking money or servants or women or glory or stock options, money from other people, they're laboring alongside the people. So there are just a plethora of scriptures that help us understand the, um, the role of what a prophet and a servant of the Lord is to become. Now, one of the other questions I had was, after I, I did this research on, well, let's, let's keep going because a few more I missed here because this is an important one. We're all familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, where it talks about the house of God is built on a foundation of prophets and apostles and pastors and, and evangelists and so forth with Christ as the cornerstone. May I be so bold as to say when looking at the concept of prophets in the Bible and in the Book of Mormon and understanding what a prophet is and what that prophet's role is, which is to teach something that's been revealed to him by an angel of the Lord, that this isn't necessarily a hierarchical construct, but it's something in which the true church is formed upon because people have the faith to develop the gifts of being prophets, of being apostles of being evangelists and so forth. And it's the gifts through faith that builds the house of God with Christ as the cornerstone. And so that's one thing we can kind of look at that that may be a little bit different than what we're used to, but it's the gifts. Often prophets suffer affliction. We find that in James chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. Prophets almost always immediately foretell destructions before destruction. Second Nephi chapter 25 verses 9 through 12. So one of the things you may want to ask yourself as the world spirals out of control the next couple of years is who is it that's been talking about destruction and warning of destruction and telling people to repent so they won't be destroyed? Um, you know, there's an individual online who um, probably whiles away his time 
doing this probably twice a day and you know no one really reads him but in many respects he's a prophet in that way and that he is trying to warn people of destructions that are coming and finally helaman chapter 15 verses 4 through 9 true prophets teach the doctrine of christ period and that is the foundation and the important part of what it is that they do and so anyway that is sort of the the highlights of the scriptures that i felt were important to talk about that related to what is a prophet of god now there's a lot of different synonyms for prophets and there's a lot of different sort of attachments to what a prophet is in the scriptures and so as i did my research that these terms came up that were somewhat synonymous to or related to a prophet of god apostles servants of the lord we already talked about that one watchmen shepherds priests teachers hired servants revelators seers and high priests although all of those terms and phrases kind of coalesce in our minds to some extent what a prophet is and so there was a couple of things that i asked a question on here and that is if there was an importance to rank them as far as heeding their word what would it be and what does it mean to heed so one of the things that uh, i've had to parse over the years is there is nowhere in scripture where it tells a man to follow the prophet it's not in there however the term heed is to heed the prophet to listen to the prophets and to to give ear to what they say the term heed talks about not only listening, but doing that which they say, which is correct and right and true. So that's what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to heed prophets. We're not commanded to follow them. Follow them implies that no matter what they do or say, that we should uh, hang on to every word and venerate them and love them and consider ourselves um, underneath them in many respects it's a hierarchical language so i i kind of rank these and this isn't scriptural but um i'm going to kind of walk through some of the different um the different descriptions of what these types of prophets are and then i sort of put them in order and i think that's important in the sense of if and i'll give you an example if a revelator or seer gives a message to me. I may want to be more attentive to that than somebody who is a teacher or a hired servant. So, because there's lots of people out there that may want to get my attention, that may say they're coming on the Lord's errand. And so it's up to us to determine kind of what uh, role they play so that we can use our time wisely to listen to those who need to be listened to. So, starting with, the a revelator so a revelator is a prophet we find from joseph smith there's a revelation that joseph smith actually gave it's not included in the doctrine covenants that i really liked um, if you want to find it it's in the scriptures.info uh, scriptures that the uh the denver snuffer folks put together it's they didn't invent it they just found a revelation that wasn't included in the original dnc and it was a revelation given at Hiram, Ohio on 11th of November, 1831, to Joseph Smith Jr. to the Church of Christ in the land of Zion. And so if you go to that, if you want to find it, you can go to scriptures.info, section 59, and uh, verse 10. And again, the duty of the president of the office of the high priest is to preside over the whole church and be like unto Moses. Um, actually, I think this section 59 is a, is what ends up becoming part of the DNC 107. So I'm, I apologize. It isn't the DNC. It's just this was uh, where I found it. Um, Behold, there is wisdom, yea, to be a seer, a revelator, a translator, and a prophet, having all the gifts of God, 
which he bestows upon the head of the church. So for me, this was uh, an indication that if a prophet is also a seer and a revelator and a translator, that he's got all the gifts of God that he would bestow upon somebody who has the, all of the gifts of prophecy. So the only person I can think of in modern times that would qualify for that would be Joseph Smith Jr. And I would expect that if the scriptures hold true and prophecy is correct, that we would see this, the Lord's servant who um, some believe is Joseph Smith Jr. Um, second ministry to come back as a seer a revelator and translator again, and having these gifts of God that God bestows upon the head of his church. So, all right, there we go. So that to me indicated that was sort of the top of the hierarchy. There are other, you know, passages about revelators. They help with knowing the certainty of things of kingdom of God on earth. You can find that in Doctrine and Covenants section 100 verses 9 through 12. But, you know, typically revelators also uncover already revealed truth. It's not like they always give new things, but they re-reveal old things. They reveal all things to the children of men, Isaiah 29, verse 11. They uncover the secrets and works of darkness. Second Nephi, chapter 30, verses 8 through, 8 through 18. Those are just some of the, uh, the scriptures that deal with what is a, a revelator. And, and a seer would be, we talked about, you know, seers, we get that in Mosiah. Mosiah is the one who kind of gives us the best example of somebody who uh, basically reveals hidden things, past and present things. They interpret scripture. They're considered greater than a prophet, Mosiah chapter 8, verses 13 through 18. And they could possess a Urim and Thummim, uh, Mosiah 28, verses 8 through 16. So we also know there's a choice here in the last days, both to translate the word and to deliver, 2 Nephi chapter 3, verses 6 through 11, which would be Joseph Smith's first ministry and his second ministry. So that's, that's what a seer does. And the seer, in my opinion, would be considered the greatest of all. So if we come across somebody who has the gift of seership and revelation and has the gifts of Joseph Smith in the first place, that's one person I would probably want to spend a lot of time listening to. All right. The second of that would be an apostle. What kind of prophet is an apostle? And in scriptures tell us once again that they are Apostles in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 16, they bring perfection to the body of Christ. So they have a higher kind of calling to help those in the church to be able to essentially understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. They witness the resurrection of Jesus, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. And that is either because they were there in the initial time frame or they see him in vision. The baptism of fire and Holy Ghost can be given by apostles. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 25. Apostles had the witness of the Lord, Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 31. The Book of Mormon apostles performed mighty miracles, Mormon chapter 9, verses 15 through 20. We already talked about the, uh, the apostles can give the gift of the Holy Ghost in Acts, but it's also in Moroni, chap in Moroni chapter 2. So those are, those are the gifts that an apostle can give. And I would rank an apostle underneath a seer and a revelator importance of, uh, of a type of prophet you should, you should listen to. Underneath that, I just generically put prophets and servants of the Lord. When you see that terminology in scripture. There are lots of prophets and servants of the Lord. I've met many in my life. Um, and uh, some, some I consider to be called friends. And when they prophesy of Christ and when the spirit of prophecy is, is upon them, I consider them prophets. All right. The next one down is watchmen. If you research watchmen in the scriptures, here's what you get. Watchmen, tell us what is coming. So they... In, in essence, are revealing the future. They can see around corners. It's a gift. 
Watchmen, see what is coming upon Ephraim and Babylon. We find that in Isaiah chapter 21, verses 1 through 10. They give warning from God, Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 15 through 21. But watchmen, if they, not, if they don't do what is asked of them, can also be condemned. In the last days, Israel's watchmen will be blind and ignorant. Isaiah chapter 56, verses 9 through 12. So we have to be careful because those that think they are watchmen, if they are blind and ignorant, they will not be doing their job and they'll be condemned. And, you know, we see that in Dr. Covenant section 101 as well, where we have the watchmen that did not watch the tower and the enemy came in and broke it down. So watchmen, they're important. All right. Below that, I have shepherds and leaders. And now we're finally at the place where we have, quote unquote, church leaders the interesting thing about shepherds in scripture is many times when you see the term shepherd in the scripture it is not in a good way and in fact the only way it's and one of the only ways in which it is good is when it's capitalized which is a terminology for christ being the good shepherd but um a man the shepherd if he's called to lead a congregation we find that in numbers 27 Verses 15 through 17. True shepherds defend against the lions. And uh, they, they defend against the lions who are attacking Israel in the last days. Isaiah chapter 31, verses 3 through 5. But there are also wicked shepherds. And oftentimes they're used for the Lord's purposes. We find that in Zechariah 11. Verses 15 through 11. And I want to go ahead and read that one because that one interests me. And I think it helps us understand when we have some uh, challenges. Um, and we're, we're talking with somebody who says, hey, but I know that so-and-so is a prophet of the Lord. Um, an example I'll give you is, is that one of the things I prayed about when I was kind of waking up was I wanted to know whether Brigham Young was, a, was one of the Lord's servants. And the answer I got was, yes, he was. And I'm like, what? I didn't expect that answer from the Lord. I was really confused. And the Lord sent me on a, uh, a scripture hunt to help me understand what he meant by that. And I ended up in Zechariah. And sorry, we got to get to it. Zechariah 11. Verses 15 through 17. And the Lord said unto me, take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those, which shall not visit those that be cut off. Neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear down claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean, dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. So what stuck up to me was what stuck out to me was in verse 16 where it says, For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land. I, the Lord God, am raising up a shepherd under the land. So God put that person there. And I thought, why would God do that? And um, a lot of and, and what I got from that you know, sort of prayer and asking from the Lord was that God will rise up, or will raise up wicked shepherds to lead a condemned people so that it's a judgment upon them. And that's what he does. And um, so we got to be careful when we see, we see shepherds in scripture, because a lot of times they are considered um, wicked shepherds. Uh, Ezekiel 34 talks about that they, they, that um, the flock is scattered because the shepherds feed themselves and not the flock. We, we see that in Ezekiel 34. Uh, where the shepherds live, this is a prophecy in Amos 1, chapter 1 through 5, where the shepherds live in the last days, there shall be mourning. And uh, so there's a, there's a prophecy there to talk about those that consider some shepherds over Israel in the last days. It may not be a good thing. However, we have true shepherds, and they enter by the door, and the door is Christ, who knows the flock and is known by the flock, and they are they are one fold. And we find that in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. So 
that's a shepherd. And, um, and then underneath that, I put uh, priest. Um, in you, when you read about priests, essentially in the scriptures, they're really there to perform ordinances. They, uh, so actually I need to make that probably lower than the one after that. I put teachers and preachers, teachers and preachers. So a teacher and a preacher, they are third to apostles and prophets. So in first Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, it actually ranks them. It ranks apostles and prophets and then teachers is underneath. They labor with the prophets and, uh, and book of Mormon, Jerem chapter one, verses 10 through 12. They labor with the prophets. Um, a teacher and preacher is no better than the hearer, though. Alma chapter 1, verses 19 to 28. Being a teacher is a gift of the Spirit given by Christ. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 through 31. So, teacher and preacher, and then underneath that's priest. Um, priests are important because they give us ordinances. And then finally, hired servants, which there's nothing good about hired servants um, in scriptures. It's just defined as priest crafts. They won't abide the darkness. Um, they are likened to a harlot of Babylon in Isaiah 23, verses 14 through 18. They, um, in the last days, the hired servant and the priest craft shall be done away. Now, we're, we're I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to where we're going to finish this off, but I want to ask a couple of questions. Is the term true prophet in scripture? And I'm going to tell you the answer is no. Those words do not go together. Because again, let's circle back around what we read in, in Moroni chapter 7. Because there's only one true prophet, and that is Jesus Christ, the term true prophet or figuring out who is a true prophet is not necessarily something that is supported by scripture. However, the term false prophet is. And so what I would like to submit to you is that a prophet is only true when a prophet is telling you something that is actually a message of the Lord. So sometimes a prophet teaches something that is good, and sometimes a prophet may teach something that is evil. An example, again, we go back to Moses, and we look and look at Samson, and we can look at Jonah, and we can look at Peter, we can look at Joseph Smith, even. And we can find examples of when they did or said things that were not from the Lord. Um, and, do, you know, when they, and when we're in that mode, we are, they're not necessarily doing with the Lord's will. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are a false prophet because the Lord has a, the Lord has some scriptures that help us identify what is a false prophet. So, and I want to take them all together because I think that gives us the best understanding of what a false prophet is. A simple answer, and we hear this a lot in Christianity to undercut Joseph Smith because they'll say, well, he didn't prophesy this right. We didn't prophesy that right. And they'll quote Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 30 through 31, and talks about if anybody's prophesies falsely, they're a false prophet. Okay. However, I'm going to recommend that because nobody is perfect, there's always an opportunity for people to fail. And, but we have to also figure out how they continue on in their lives to continue being prophets and servants of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. We want to go ahead and read that one because that one is the key to all of this understanding here. Matthew chapter, sorry, we get there. Matthew 7, verses 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Now we're back to Moroni chapter 7 again. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. All right, let's go back up to 
the concept of sheep's clothing, inwardly they are ravening wolves. When we look at that, what we are finding is, is that false prophets are those who feed upon the flock to build themselves up. And Joseph Smith Matthew chapter 1 verses 5 through 11 talks about false prophets deceive. And there'll be many in the last days. And they may be able to deceive the very elect. And Mark 13 tells us that. Luke 6, 26, chapter 6, verse 26, they speak well of you. So they speak pleasing things unto you that flatter you and think that you are doing great things. False prophets, they build up many churches. Fourth Nephi, chapter 1, verses 27 through 34. They introduce abominable heresies. So in other words, they change ordinances. Second Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And they do it without the permission of the Lord. False prophets often disguise themselves as angels of light, but look for glory and opportunity. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 through 15. Now, here's an interesting story. I don't know if many of you know, but um, in the um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in the 1930s, Hebrew J. Grant was considered a very unpopular president of the church. They circulated a, a survey at BYU and found that only 30 37% of the students at BYU had a favorable impression of Hebrew J. Grant. The church found that extremely alarming. So when David O. McKay came into um, power as the president of the church, they took on a huge role of creating a PR image around him that helped to elevate the role of a prophet into like the 80s and 90s percentile for the Latter-day Saints as far as their, their positive impressions. And they did things like they dressed him in white, they shaved his beard, they, um, they started to airbrush his picture when he was on the cover of the magazines. And so essentially he was creating this sort of image as a light being and a light person but it was all fake and it was all false and it was all designed to bring um, glory and honor unto himself. And it was in this manner and this time frame that the LDS church started calling their prophets, our beloved prophet. Before that, it was only uh, reserved for Joseph Smith. And this is where you start getting the, the tradition of the white handkerchiefs when they go into the stadiums and people essentially looking to this individual as somebody who is more than he really is. That's where we get that, uh, that tradition from. False prophets are drunk with false teachings of their own idolatry. And they love to spew vomit, which essentially is their own words that they quote each other. And we find that in Isaiah 28. Uh, they prophesy smooth things to the people, Isaiah chapter 30, verses 8 through 17. And people love their false prophets, Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 30 through 31. So false prophets really are set up to bring glory, honor, money, women, fame, um, security, safety under themselves or under their institution. And that is their primary role. And everything else kind of subordinates to that. So if you see somebody coming along, and whether it's a, an institutional leader, whether it's somebody online who's asking you to give them money or give them glory, power, and honor because they're teaching what they say is the truth of God, um, that is one indication to figure out whether or not that individual is a false prophet. All right. Uh, one final little, little caveat. Um, the term fallen prophet is only found twice in scripture and that's in mosiah chapter 15 verses 18 through 23 actually it's not even the term fallen prophet it's the fact that they, it says there that that uh, they can fall into transgression which we already talked about it's not there's never any real bona fide there's no um guarantees that uh, anyone who's righteous or can obtain a message from the lord will always remain so so we just always need to be careful um, 
DNC 101 verses 42 through 45 talks about watchmen that fall asleep. So those are the two scriptures that I saw that sort of have kind of conveyed this idea of a quote-unquote fallen prophet, but the term itself is not really found in scripture. Just recognize that the concept itself is there and it's true. So we're going to circle back around. We're going to finish this off with the understanding of good fruit. So back to Matthew. And, and Matthew ties up with Moroni chapter 7. Wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. And one of the big aha moments that I had when I was studying this was the concept of what is a fruit. And I think we kind of drift into the mindset of, well, the fruits are their example in their lives. So if a prophet is, you know, teaching good things, but he's going out and sleeping around and being, you know, a thief and a liar, that's not good fruit. And there certainly is truth of that. And there's a level to looking at that as a fruit. Um, but we've got to be careful with that. We have to be careful with that. Again, going back to the idea that not everyone is perfect except for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who was perfect. And so if we see somebody um, who preaches the gospel of Christ on a Zoom meeting and we see them um, swear or, you know, um, talk bad about somebody or get angry in a moment of weakness, is it our right to judge them and say, well, they must not be a prophet of God and they must have never had a message from the Lord or they must be completely fallen and they can't ever repent because they just did that. And um, that's where we got to be careful. So I have a better and I have a higher um, way in which I think we had to look at the term fruit. And the fruit isn't what they do. The fruit is in what we do. So, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, John tells us to try the spirits and to do what prophets um, tell us to do, whether they be true or whether they be false. And we already talked about Amma chapter 32, how we plant the word in our hearts, and if it be a good seed, then it grows and sprouts, continueth to grow until we can have a perfect knowledge in it, so on and so forth. What I would be so bold as to say is the fruit in our lives is the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. If by following the words and following the teachings and, rep and repenting unto the understanding that a prophet teaches us can bring us into the gate and we get the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, then we can know for a certainty that person and what they have said in that moment makes them a true prophet and a servant of the Lord. And somebody we should heed, and somebody that we should um, listen to, and and uh, consider as somebody who has got more light and more knowledge than than we do. Regardless of whether they teach, every, you know, we have to agree with everything that they say, but we have opportunities at that point to to listen and to pick out those things which can apply to our lives and give us the opportunity to ascend and follow the doctrine of Christ. So for me, that is the truth, or that is the fruit that, uh, that uh, Matthew is talking about there. And so if we can fill that fruit in us and we can have that experience, um, then we can know for sure. So my testimony on this um, comes a couple of different ways. When I started to study the, the concepts of the doctrine of Christ, which I started studying in 2015 through the writings of uh, Denver Snuffer. It was at that point in my life that I was able to have those sorts of experiences to be able to have a baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost and be able to know that the teachings and the things in which I were thinking about and praying about and repenting of that I had learned from that individual were true things. And um, it gave me consideration that in that moment, what that person was teaching at that point in time made him a servant of the Lord. Um, and I will say that in uh, subsequent years, as I've 
listen to other individuals and teachers and and prophets and and those that have given a message that I have felt likewise other movements and elevations in my spiritual understanding um, in joining this uh, doctrine of Christ group and listening to the uh, the words of, um, of Phil Davis as he has taught about the doctrine of Christ. I've also felt similar experiences. I've had baptisms of fire that have that have come that have helped elevate me and give me uh, more light and knowledge. And so again, it helps me understand that in that moment and in that time and in that message, that what he's teaching is true. And uh, that is the lesson for tonight. And I hope you enjoyed it. I know I gave a lot of resources. I'm happy to give my, uh, you know, I, I only shared maybe a third of the scriptures that um, that I'd researched. I kind of picked out the, the best ones to convey the message. But um, um, if you want, I can uh, send them to, to either Mark or, or um, Justin, and we can maybe get them out to everybody. But um, thank you tonight, and, and uh, do want to open it up for, for questions and answers or, or um, thoughts?